Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan, my guest on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum and Freedom Forum Radio for the next several weeks, is syndicated talk show host, Mike Church. The Mike Church Show airs every morning from 6 to 9 on Sirius Satellite Radio, Channel 125, the Patriot Channel. Mike's focus is on history, American history and world history, as a basis for the philosophy of our founding fathers. In writing the Constitution, the framers relied on their knowledge of history to craft a system of government which protects and secures individual freedom and individual sovereignty. Stay tuned for an interesting and informative discussion of the origin of our natural law rights, the constitutional basis for property rights, and other issues on which our freedom depends. Mike Church and I were speakers at the Nullify Now Symposium in Raleigh, North Carolina on October 19th of this year. This interview was recorded at that conference. Mike Church, thank you for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. First of all, Both of us understand that a knowledge of American history is essential when discussing the origins of our constitutional republic. Why is knowing our history so very important? It's not just um, American history. I think it's important to know history in general. Um, But certainly if you're an American citizen, you need to know American history. You're a citizen of North Carolina. You need to know North Carolina history. If you're a citizen in Louisiana, you need to know Louisiana history. And history, historical knowledge is part of, number one, I think the intellectual life, which we don't put enough emphasis on today, even though we fancy ourselves to be very, very evolved and smart. Our intellectual life is quite um, insipid today. So it's, it's part of, a, uh, of the intellectual life. And number two, it's part of the um, it's part of the conservative life, because it's impossible to know where to go without looking at where others have gone before. So, you know, Patrick Henry in American history is famous for "Give me liberty or give me death." 
In that same speech, the line that comes right before that is, I have no, uh, uh, the lamp by which my feet are guided is the lamp of experience. And what in the prior experience of our uh, relationship with our British, uh, with the British government, do we have to make us think that they're going to change or alter their course? So he was drawing on the history, because history gives us experience. And um, American history is such a such a rich field of study. I mean, you could pick a decade. It doesn't even matter which one. And probably spend the rest of your life compiling documents and writing about it or um, learning more about it or maybe even discovering things that hadn't been discovered before. So, again, I think it's, number one, it's part of being a good citizen. It's part of a conservative tradition because you have to know where you've been, which will guide us and, and can guide us on where we want to want to go and the third part is part of the intellectual life like you said learning history and especially going uh, approaching history from the standpoint that assume no knowledge i don't know anything when i go in i'm going to go read this book or i'm going to go read this this research paper i don't know anything this will then lead you when you're studying history if you're curious like i am too and this is what got me started and wanted to write more and to bring history to life is this little thing's called footnotes. What if I look those up? And then another door opens. So, and this is all, you know, you're using your mind. You're, you're, you're using your intellect you know, that God blessed us with. And that's why I say it's part of the intellectual life. And for that, it's wildly unappreciated. You know, I used to say that for human beings, our life is short. And we tend to see history in terms of a linear progression. But people who study history, they understand that history is cyclical. And if you look at things that are going on right now, as you mentioned in your speech, if you look at things that are going on right now, they've been going on over and over and over again. It is really the shame for us that we never seem to learn the lesson, do we? No, we never seem to take our, uh, we never seem to take our cue from the past and listen to what Satyana said, you know, those that forget the past are doomed to repeat it. Uh, I think we're doomed to repeat it anyway, but perhaps we can have a little bit uh, larger of a hand in the outcome if we were paying a little bit more attention to what has gone before us. And that's another one of the things about American history. There's little that happens today that has not already happened. We tend to, and this is part of, I think, of, of our unenlightened and very arrogant age, we tend to think that we're so glorious uh, that we're the only people that have ever suffered under this kind of tyranny or this kind of despotism, and that's just not true. That is a historically inaccurate statement. So placing yourself in the position that, as you said, wow, this stuff keeps occurring, puts you in a very in a stronger position to say, okay, well, the last time it happened, what did they do to deal with it, and did it happen? How did it turn out? So we can learn that way. Well, smart people do that. If you're, in, <laughs> if you're intelligent, you don't keep repeating the, the mistakes of the past. Sure. Our problem is that no matter what happens, we seem to repeat the mistakes of, of the past. And, you know, I think that in a way our government is, is being guided in that direction because the mistakes of the past serve the self-interest of the arrogant elitists who are our rulers today. They are doing what 
arrogant elitists have been doing for centuries. Yes, um, I think that there was a the, there's a fundamental difference though between today's arrogant elitist and the arrogant elitist of the past. For example, uh, we would probably call John Adams an arrogant elitist, although I don't really think that he that uh, arrogant elitist would characterize him. I believe that he was a um, he was a, a, a practicing aristocrat. And when I say practicing, he was practicing at becoming an aristocrat. Because it was Adams' point of view that you know, not everyone was going to do the study. Not everyone was going to be smart and wise and erudite. And therefore, you know, they would need smart people like him to uh, help guide them. Um, I don't happen to think that that is an inaccurate point of view. Um, that, uh, that, or that Adams is totally off base there. I think that uh, what you do with that position is different. And Adams was certainly uh, a bit more humbled by his, um, by his Christian faith than uh, the, the men today that have the same opinions um, and try and exercise the same authorities are. So uh, arrogant elitists have been with us uh, for quite a while, but I think that, that, that and this has been going on for hundreds of years, this didn't just start with Obama, which a lot of people like to characterize. I think that you know, we have been going away from a, um, a dependence and a, um, a guidance, a spiritual guidance, believing in a transcendent and believing that there are permanent things and the reason they are permanent is because they've been shown to be good and then just disavowing that to where now your arrogant elitist is not reflecting on any history that has gone before him and is just basically making it up as he goes or he or she goes along. All we can hope for <laughs> is that, that they're not real evil. I mean, that's, 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 that's the position we find ourselves in, that you know, we're kind of at their disposal now, and they're not guided by the past. That's really dangerous. We have to take a quick break here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More with Mike Church right after this. I think if you would look at the progression of history, the arrogant elitists of today take their root with the Fabian Socialist Society and George Bernard Shaw. Um, these are people who felt they should be the ones to determine who could have children and who could not have children and sure. things of that nature. And that's where the progressive movement really found its roots. In terms of the Constitution, do you feel that there is one or two underlying principles that guided uh, the founders when they wrote it? Well, <laughs> because the, uh, the history of the, uh, of the convention is often mistold, um, the convention was not called or convened to draft a constitution. It was called to amend the Articles of Confederation. So if we're going to talk about what principle guided the founders, um, it, it, number one, it was not to have a constitution. It was to make better the confederation that they had, which by all accounts, most were, um, they were pretty satisfied with. They thought that it was ineffective in some of the things that, um, that it kind of implied that a confederation needed to do. So what they were guided by is what I call the spirit of 76. I even wrote a movie about it. Um, the spirit of 76 basically says that the best government among men, um, short of an actual God-fearing, benevolent king, is a Republican form of government. Um, that's not a democracy. A Republican right. form of government requires 
direct participation in very small spheres. Jefferson even said that it probably couldn't op- operate successfully outside the size of a New England township. We're talking a couple thousand people. So th- this is principle number one, that in order for people to successfully self-govern themselves, they actually have to participate in self-government. So that is what I would call, that's the spirit of 76. And there's a, there's a, a current of independence that runs through that. And then the other part of it is that the American Revolution was it was not a um, it was not a revolutionary like the French Revolution was not a progressive revolution it was a conservative revolution there were things that had been taken from the colonists who would be stay who would be statesmen that they wanted back so if we're looking at it as a wheel they wanted to roll the wheel backwards they wanted they, they said look our fathers grew up trial by jury, you know, we participated in our, in our legislatures, we had some say so in the election of governors or the, or the, the appointment of offices under governors, we weren't taxed. And it was when the Brits decided to pay for their wars that they wanted to tax the colonists that the, that's when the trouble began. So their tradition and, uh, was upended, it was, it, was, it was attacked. And so the American Revolution, quite contrary to almost every revolution that's had transpired since before or since is actually um, what I like to call today a rear guard action. It's okay, they've taken our, they've stormed the banks, they're over the rampart, you know, the only thing that's left for them is to stick the bayonet in. Um, we have to push back. And it was a pushback. And this is what I think unmistakably guides the men like Patrick Henry um in the things that they that they thought a good government ought to, ought to be and you could see this in the early days of life after independence is declared we're here in north carolina what did north carolina do with its government i mean we could research this we talked about american history early in north carolina history you can find out and i and i bet you that it's a pretty solid uh retrenchment or or, or going back to the way that they govern themselves as colonists, they just changed the names and no longer had to report to a supreme master on the throne in England. You know, I think that what we're talking about really is that there were Judeo-Christian principles mm-hmm. that were adhered to, natural law rights that the founders understood. And to my way of thinking, the basis is property rights, the right to own private property. You know, to people like, like Jefferson... He understood that a person's property was his land, his home, his possessions, the work of his hands, the work of his brain, and his life itself. And so what I say on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is that the right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral and constitutional basis for individual freedom. And I believe that they had that in mind if you look at the, the Constitution and how it was constructed. Your private property was always held in respect and safe from the prying hands and greed of the government. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's largely correct. Um, private property and the ownership of property go, uh, goes back even further than that. I mean, uh, Jesus famously said, our Lord famously said, render under Caesar that which is his and unto God that which is his, he implicitly invokes property. Someone's property to render under Caesar, and the rest 
you can render uh, you, know, you are to render under God in, in service of um, dispensing your Christian duties to feed the poor, clothe the naked, tend to the sick. You do it. Don't job it out to the Red Cross. So, you know, our conception of property tends to be economic. Um, and while I think economic has something, uh, is a component of it, uh, there are other properties, and you mentioned them. You know, your intellectual property, this is property. Um, your material, your physical property, this is property. Um, it's private property, and your thought is property. As long as your thought is not harming or injuring the, um, the well-being of others, it's your thought, it's your property. So governments are instituted, and I think the Constitution keeps this in mind. I think you're correct. Governments are instituted to protect those properties, which is why even before there was a Bill of Rights that included the right to redress your government for a petition of grie- uh, redress for grievances, right to free speech, uh, right to the free ex- exercise of religion, and a free press, these are intellectual properties. These are properties that we can directly put our hands on. Um, they, they exist. They're products of our mind and our thought process. So, and those are properties. Um, but they're well, not eco- they can be economic properties. But, but your life, not. your life itself is a property. property. And that's yes. one of the things that in Obamacare, by controlling your life and your death, as that bill does, that is a theft of your private property. Well, uh, anytime the government interposes or intervenes, gets in between you and uh, your personal exercise of your own, um, of your own body, and uh, like marijuana laws, for example, anytime the government purports to, I'm going to do this on your behalf. Well, no, you can't do it on my behalf. I can choose to do it on my behalf. Now, you can try and make the argument that you're going to try and stop me from doing it because it's going to prove to be bad for others, and you're trying to protect others, but you can't do it to try to protect me. This is, I think, the, the fundamental flaw. Anytime the government steps in, whether it's with Obamacare or Medicare or Medicaid or any, 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 any uh, uh, coercive act that purports to be able to guide and steer people and almost to compel them into doing certain things, uh, medically speaking, or with their bodies, I think the government is overreached. You know, are there poor among us that may need these services? Who in their right mind would argue that there aren't? I also think this is one of the big challenges of libertarian and conservative thinking and thought in the early part of the 21st century is that we seem to be um, incapable, some seem to be incapable of or fearful of actually embracing that there are going to be people in your precious free market that are going to fall through the cracks. Not everyone is going to succeed simply because they work hard. It just doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. There is always going to be a need for the care of people um, that are just not as good at life <laughs> and, and at the necessities of life. Does that mean that you have to tax other men for it? No, I don't think it does. But what I do think it means is that we have to acknowledge that and acknowledge that as part of our civic duty we're going to have to do something about it. This is all part of community. Again, you asked me about well, what life may have been like, principles of the Constitution. 
or community is one of them. If you live in a community and you got sick people in it that can't care for themselves, you care for them. That's that's what you do. But you know, of course, that charity is an a, a voluntary act. Sure. And back in constitutional times, and certainly a lot longer after that, people when they were sick, when they were not able to eat or didn't have enough food, where did they turn? They turned to their family, they turned to their churches, and to their communities. Right. That concludes part one of this interview with Mike Woods. Tune in next week on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum, part two. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website www.drdansfreedomforum.com The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. I get joy in everything 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 gonna be all right this morning. Thank <laughs>